So, will Putin invade eastern Ukraine on the pretense that separatists there are coming under attack? It's looking more likely than any diplomatic solution right now. Has the market response been a little more subdued because of the US holiday? Could we see bigger shifts today? Meanwhile, PMI is looking really strong. That sounds good, doesn't it? But it also means more inflation pressures. So, does that make the ECB more hawkish? And the Fed, maybe a half percent rate rise, is back on the table. Whilst at home, Christopher Kent from the RBA is talking later on. What's he going to say about QE and interest rates? It's Tuesday, the 22nd of February, 2022. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Well, the US dollar has been a little weaker today on the DXY. Until just about now, it's actually risen as Vladimir Putin made a televised address. More about that in a second. The dollar is down a quarter percent against the Japanese yen, though. The euro is down a little. The Aussie dollar still managed a third of one percent gain. The pound is up 0.2 percent. But the equity markets are nervous. In Europe, the DAX lost more than 2%. Uh, the FTSE down 0.4%. The US, of course, closed for President's Day. So same deal for US bonds. But yields are up across Europe. 10 years in the UK and France up three basis points. Futures on 10-year treasuries are also up. And oil, as you might expect, with a looming geopolitical crisis, is up today. Almost a 3% rise in Brent, up over $96 now. And WTI rising almost as much. So it does look like we are getting to the pointy end of the Ukraine tensions. Let's talk about that first with Nabs Tapper Strickland. So we know that uh, separatists in Donetsk and Luhansk in the uh, Donbass region, the disputed region in eastern Ukraine, have called on Moscow for recognition. Uh, this is the false flag that's being talked about. Uh, Russia is now saying that they support the separatists in the region. Uh, Vladimir Putin has made that address on TV, recognising those separatists. So this could be a crucial 24 hours, couldn't it? In fact, I'm surprised there's not more reaction on the markets, you know, except for oil. Uh, but I suppose the US was closed. So uh, as the day progresses, this could be a very different day, couldn't it, today? I, I mean, in terms of market action um, overnight, um, really hasn't been any improvement in terms of risk sentiment, as, as, as you would imagine. Uh, and when you look at European stocks, they're down by 1.3%. Um, the S&P 500 futures, so all, all, although the US markets are closed, futures there are down 1.2%. And uh, US Treasury futures are slightly higher. So that suggests a 1 to 3 basis at point fall in but, the... Wouldn't you, ex- wouldn't you expect the Aussie, the US dollar, I should say, to to be up? I mean, it is up ever so slightly, but it's been down most of the day on the DXY. The the Aussie dollar is is up. Wouldn't you have thought? that the, the US dollar would be much higher, you know, as a bit of a safe haven? Uh, yes. So I think part of it was the actions overnight reversed some of the optimism that we had during Asia yesterday. And uh, for those people who are listening uh, in Asia yesterday, we had those headlines of the French unveiling a proposed Biden-Putin summit. And obviously that was later quashed uh, later on uh, Monday. And then, of course, we've had the most recent headlines about the potential for Russia to recognize those two breakaway regions in the Ukraine. I think also... Part of it is U.S. markets being closed. Um, I think um, once U.S. markets um, open and once Asian markets open, you could get a little bit more reaction to the headlines here. But really, in terms of uh, Ukraine-Russia tensions so far, um, I guess it's another uh, signal uh, that Russia could uh, could make an incursion into Ukraine itself. Uh, and uh, it's it's still really early days here, uh, but the recognition of those two separatist regions um, should be a pause for thought, for sure. So do you think, uh, I mean, the question is, whatever we see happening uh, over the the next 24 hours on the markets, how long is it going to stick around for? So, for example, you know, if we do see the US dollar rise because of geopolitical uncertainty, you know, the expectation is still, isn't it, that later this year will fall back because the US position versus the rest of the world, Europe in particular, is going to diminish somewhat as everyone recovers from covid 
but do you think this could sort of perhaps delay that that shift and we could see the US dollar holding its strength for a bit longer perhaps? Oh, it definitely has, has a potential, uh, particularly if the geopolitical tensions become a little bit more persistent here and uh, indeed spread a little bit as other countries around the world get a little bit more emboldened um, by uh, the potential of what Russia may or may not do uh, in, in the Ukraine. Um, so there is a potential that uh, there could be a little bit of a higher ge- geopolitical risk premium and that could find its way into both the US dollar and into the gold price yeah. as well. Well, uh, and look, oil is behaving as you might expect, isn't it, with the Ukraine uh, concerns? Because we did have this hope and what was holding it back a, a little bit was this hope of a revival of the nuclear accord with Iran. That's been sort of keeping a cap on it. But really, they uh, oil prices racing up today. Uh, I think th- there was a hope, wasn't there, that this deal will be sorted out in Vienna this week. But perhaps if there's distractions, that might delay the fact. Plus the fact, if the deal is signed, it has to be signed with the uh, original uh, agreement, which means it has to be agreed with the original signatories, which includes Russia. So, <laughs> so that's not going to happen in a hurry, is it? Um, yeah, so I, I think that's going to be a pretty interesting thing. Also, uh, in terms of the oil market, there was a refinery fire in the US that has added a little bit of upper momentum in terms of the Brent oil price. But the biggest story there is if Russia were to make an incursion into the Ukraine, uh, then there's the potential for Russian oil supply to be uh, disrupted. And Russia is one of the largest producers of oil in the world. And it's unclear whether a, a pickup in Iranian production could offset uh, that, that that fall. And in, in, indeed, uh, when you do look at where Iranian production was going back 10 years ago, um, it was nowhere near where Russian production was. Now, if we didn't have things going on in Ukraine, what would we be talking about today? We'd be talking about the service PMIs. They came in very strong, didn't they, in Europe? Uh, not so much for, for manufacturing, but for services going from January to February from 52.2 to 56.5 for Germany, from 54.1, I think, to 57.9 for France, from 51.1 to 55.8 for the euro area, from 54.1 to 60.9 for the UK. All very strong numbers, aren't they? Oh, definitely. The two key uh, takeaways from there was... The rebound in the services sector relatively quickly after the Omicron wave uh, peaked and the wider Eurozone composite, I think, is at a five-month high. So that does suggest uh, there has been a fairly rapid rebound in the services sector. And the second one is the PMIs continue to sound those alarm bells over the inflation picture. And just worth noting that average prices charged for goods and services out of those surveys uh, were at the highest rate ever recorded in the history of those surveys. So uh, it does suggest there is a lot of inflation pressure building there. Um, Also adding to that inflation pressure potentially is if uh, the Ukraine-Russia situation continues and um, puts further upward pressure on gas prices and other energy prices in Europe as well, that could feed through to high input costs both across the manufacturing side and the services side yeah. as well. Let me throw a third one in because if you've got growing demand, but you've got uh, you know those supply chains, even though those supply chains started to ease, you've got growing demand, you've got the backlog there. That means companies have got to employ more people. That means more jobs. That means uh, you know the, the, the rising uh, the demand uh, for wages, doesn't it? So that pile out onto those rising input prices just adds to that inflation story even more. Oh, definitely. When you look at um, market 
pricing for future inflation, so the five-year, five-year inflation swaps in Germany, uh, they've actually risen by quite quite a lot. And it pays to the view that the ECB will end uh, all forms of QE uh, probably by the third quarter of this year and will contemplate uh, the case for a rate hike in 2022. And there was a few ECB officials out last night uh, who were playing towards mm. that view. And the Bank of England, obviously, as well. You'd, you'd assume same story happening, isn't it? That they're going to be more hawkish as well. Uh, yes, um, although it's just worth noting the Bank of England has already started to, to, to hike rates um, and uh, that will just add to that hike part. Well, when do they do it next? I mean, is it the next meeting or is it the meeting after? I mean, when, when are they going to pile on, you know, up to 0.75%? When are they going to hit that, do you think? When you think about uh, the last meeting, four out of nine MPC members wanted a 50 basis point hike and obviously a 25 yes. basis point hike yeah. was, was, was there. So it's so I think uh, it's more than likely that you get a hike at the next meeting there, uh, just given, obviously, a lot of the committee there wanted to go a little bit more. We do get uh, BOE MPC member Ramson speaking later tonight, uh, and he was also one of those four hawkish dissenters at that BOE meeting. So you may get a little bit more in terms of whether BOE thinks they need to take rates, uh, but uh, it does look like they do need to uh, take rates a little, a little bit higher here, and markets are well-priced for so, that as well. Where's the money going to go, uh, Tapas? If people are bailing out of bonds because they're they're worried about inflation, they don't want to hang on to cash because they're worried about inflation. They're worried about geopolitics, so that's spooking the uh, the, the equity markets. Where does the money go? I guess a lot of it goes into commodities, perhaps. Yes, and indeed, that's what you have seen over the past couple of months is that flow into commodities, uh, particularly oil and perhaps into gold as well, just as some kind of hedge for the geopolitical risk. And also perhaps also for inflation, if central banks still remain uh, relatively moderate in their rate hike cycles as well. So look, today uh, the US is back on deck. Of course, we get the uh, the flash PMIs and we also get the conference board's consumer confidence read. But the PMIs, are they going to be similar to the, the pattern that we've seen in Europe? Uh, yes, I, I'd, I'd expect to so. I expect them to show uh, continued inflationary pressure in the US there. And just worth noting, the market PMIs uh, don't tend to be all that market moving and it's really the uh, the ISMs that are published uh, later in the month that tend to be uh, more the market focus there. I think the consumer confidence figures are likely to be more closely watched just given the University of Michigan measures have fallen by so much and that conference board measure is still relatively robust at 113.8. The consensus there is for it to fall to 110. Um, also in the US we get one Fed speaker, we get the Fed's Bostic, um, but it's just worth noting most of the Fed, I think, are coming along to the view that uh, a 25 basis point in March is broadly uh, appropriate and that there may be some back-to-back rate hikes as well. Right. And tell me what's happening in China, because obviously no moves going on in terms of uh, interest rates in China, but we do know that they want to be more flexible. Uh, they want to do whatever they can to see the economy grow. So it's more easing than tightening. So what are they doing to, to, to handle that situation now? It's, it's a really good question. And there's a few articles in the Chinese Securities Journal that uh, noted that China does have room to use monetary tools to boost growth. Um, and we do know that those growth concerns are front and center this year, particularly just given the uh, five-year meeting uh, of the uh, ruling bodies of the Chinese Communist Party, where President Xi is uh, aiming to go for another five-year term. Um, and then the other one is, um, they, oh, sorry, within the Chinese Security Journal, they quoted a number of people saying that it was time to make the yuan a little bit more flexible. And the fact that the yuan hasn't de- de- depreciated and is indeed appreciated over the past, um, six months or so, uh, does suggest that maybe China is becoming a little bit more wary about that and is looking for a little bit more two-way price action in terms of that currency. 
Uh, and just also interesting as well, um, there was a new study published, um, I think a couple of days ago on the Big Mac index in China, and that suggested that the yuan was undervalued by about 32%. Um, so, it, so it does suggest that uh, there, there, there could be a little bit of a, uh, appreciation pressure there. Well, I'm glad we're, we're still using those all important metrics like, uh, like the Big Mac index. So, uh, the uh, German IFO numbers today, the business climate index, perhaps not quite as uh, reliable as the, uh, the Big Mac index. And, uh, Christopher Kent from the RBA, um, is he going to be denying an interest rate lift off this year? Um, or, or, or do you think he'll he'll come to the party? What's, what's he going to say? And what and what could it do to the Aussie? I imagine that could move a bit on depending on what comes out of his mouth today. Yes, yeah, so it's, potentially it's a pretty uh, important speech as far as uh, bond markets are concerned. And he's mm. speaking on an update on the RBA's open market operations. And just given the abundance of liquidity in the system, the actual traded cash rate is uh, trading below the current cash rate target. And there's a lot of uncertainty when rates start to lift. Is whether that effectively traded cash rate will move up uh, in line with uh, the target cash rate that the RBA wants to uh, target. Um, and also, there'll be a lot of focus um, in terms of whether he mentions the TFF maturities in 23 and 24, and whether there's some equivalent um, tightening in financial conditions that would approximate a, a, a rate hike. And there has been some talk within markets that as those TFF maturities occur, as banks repay that really cheap funding that occurred at 10 basis points, uh, then that could see uh, funding costs lift uh, quite a bit for, for banks. And then the other one is, uh, will the RBA allow QE maturities to, to roll off and the rolling off those of those QE maturities um, how can we think of those in terms of a tightening in financial conditions so yeah. uh, three different aspects that uh, markets will be looking quite closely at in terms of that speech and in terms of the Q&A he will no doubt be asked about whether the RBA is thinking about hiking rates this year and uh, the kind of rhetoric that we have seen from the RBA particularly from the RBA governor is that it's a possibility and that the central scenario for the RBA is for them to consider a rate hike in the in the latter half of this year. Is it possible or is it plausible or will they find another word beginning with P? Don't know what it would be. Uh, well, he'll leave us waiting for that. Uh, we'll see what he says and we'll see what happens, obviously, uh, in Eastern Europe as well. And uh, with America back with his feet under the desk, it could be an interesting 24 hours, couldn't it? Good to talk, Tapas. Cheers. Uh, thanks, Phil. I don't know. Why can't we all just be nicer to each other? That's it for the morning call for this Tuesday morning. I'm Phil Dobby for NAB. Back again tomorrow morning. I'll see you then.